All right. Well, I think we can do 200 as well, Robert. Well, well said. <clears throat> so this morning, we are going to continue our series in messy neighboring. And so uh, just curious. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you. That's, this is why they built the slide. No, this is, this, is, this is exactly why that slide is there. Because students and children, you are dismissed for Sunday school. Thanks, Scott. And thank you, uh, slide makers, <laughs> Clayton. Uh, well, you can, you can imagine I, I'm a little bit apprehensive as, as we come into this series or into this, this weekend because that question of are things getting messy for you yet as we explore uh, messy neighboring um, is, is true for myself as well, right? More so than any other series I've been in, we've been in this year, I feel like I'm in over my head a little bit here. You know, it's, it's not, uh, to love our neighbors is not just a matter of being cordial or having uh, an acquaintance with someone, uh, being able to say, hey, that's my coworker, I, I know them by name, or, uh, you know, it, it's knowing more about our neighbors in such a way that we, we, we actually get involved in their lives. We, we take the risk of loving them. We take the risk of, 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 of getting to know them more, right? The hard thing is going beneath the surface of our friendships with people, beneath the surface of our relationships. And the reality is God calls his people to love their neighbors, and that's, that's where it gets messy, right? That's where we, we run into problems. Loving your neighbor requires humility, it requires a willingness to step into those places where you need to seek forgiveness. It requires a willingness to have hard conversations where you listen attentively to another, where you allow yourself to share the deep places of your soul with them. You let them get to know you, but then you also you take the risk of getting to know them and being aware of what's going on in their world and in their lives. This past week has been a difficult week for me relationally, and that means not confronting the mess in other people's lives, but confronting the mess in my own life, right? It, it means confronting the reality of the mess that I bring to those relationships. And, uh, and this, is, this is where I'm struggling this morning a little bit, is I find it ironic that, that God would call me to preach on his word, and specifically in an area where I feel like I've fallen short of God's expectations, Right? It's, it's one of those places where you feel like, man, I, I don't deserve to stand up in front of these people and, and, and preach God's word on an area where I've clearly fallen short of God's expectation of loving my neighbors. But, but here's the thing. This is the, the part I'd ask you to keep in mind here for us this morning, that Paul's charge to Timothy was to preach in season and out of season. In other words, preach the gospel at all times and in every season of life, whether, whether we're living up to God's standard or not, I mean, we're always aiming to live up to God's standard, but whether we reach that standard or not, we're still called to preach the gospel. That's, that's the thing. What I'm reminded of this morning and, and what I'd encourage you to remember is that the power of the message is not the person preaching the word, but the word itself. And so I just ask you to keep in mind this morning that, that I'm speaking toward you this morning but the word is speaking to me as well. That, that the work that the word is doing in your life is the work, is the same work that God is wanting to do in my life and confront me with. 
So when I ask that question, is it getting messy for you yet? It's because I also know it's getting messy for me. And not just because of the mess in other people's lives, but the mess in my life, right? And we have to understand that that's actually part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is to acknowledge that these are the places where God calls us to go, out of love for him, but also out of love for others. So if you want to love God and love your neighbors, then you have to start in this place where you accept that it's going to be messy. It's going to require you to get your hands dirty a little bit. It's going to require you taking some risks. And on the other side of that is a great reward. So I'd like it if we could just pray for a moment and just ask the Lord to humbly allow us to be in a place of open-handed receiving of God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you that your word is not just words written down in a page, but it's living and active. That your Holy Spirit has the ability to not just reveal that truth in us and to us, but to transform us by that truth. And so, Lord, transform us this morning by that truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, Tara and I had a chance to share lunch with a student from Fairfield U. Her name was Alexis, and we had a great time talking and getting to know her and, and whatnot. But uh, one of the things she said in the midst of our meal was something that really struck me as being very simple yet profound. She was talking about what it means to you know, go from living at home with your parents to going off to college and learning to build relationships for yourself. And, and she said, you know, I, I think that my sole responsibility, no, she didn't say I think actually, she said, I know my sole responsibility is to love other people with the love of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not a matter of convincing them why they should see things my way, right? Her, her responsibility in going into meeting people who were different and had different understandings and beliefs and values in her was simply to bring the love of Jesus into their world. Now, that's profoundly simple. It's single-focused. It's not, it's not complicated for us to understand it's not hard for us to wrap our minds around, but it's profoundly difficult to live in, or at least that's what I've found. It's profoundly difficult to, to love our neighbors in a way that involves more than just warm feelings about them, or feelings at all, right? Because it requires the risk of us getting to know other people. It's a risk because you risk getting hurt in the process, or you risk hurting another, but it's a risk worth taking. So I think for a long time, I've believed that the most difficult part of loving our neighbors is, is not necessarily knowing how to do it. Like, how do I love my neighbor? How do I, how do I love them, right? How do I do it in such a way that I, I love my neighbor, but also maintain the, the, the integrity of my faith, maintain what I believe and who I am? I, I always thought, like, that must be the hardest thing, especially in our day and age. But I don't think that's necessary. I, I was challenged this week, I should say, and I don't think that that was necessarily what was most difficult. I had uh, some time with a, a friend of mine, he's a missionary, and he said, you know, Dan, I don't think that it's, uh, I, here's the thing, he said, it's not about knowledge. Loving our neighbors is not about more knowledge, but about obedience. In other words, we don't need to know more about loving our neighbors, 
Like, I mean, how many, how many times have you heard the, I mean, people who don't even believe in Jesus agree with that sentiment and even refer back to the Bible saying, doesn't the Bible teach that we're to love our neighbors? Right? I mean, it's not about knowing that that's what we're supposed to do. And I think we probably make it more complicated than we need to when we, when we say, well, it's hard to know how to love our neighbors. Simply put, it's not about needing to know more about how to love our neighbors. It's a matter of obeying that command of God to go and love our neighbors and not just desire the best for them, but to actually work on behalf of God, to, to, to bring the good news of God into their lives through, through a relationship where, where we learn to trust and entrust ourselves to one another. And here's the mystery about God's word. When we trust God's word, when we obey his word, we could never be richer. This past week, Thursday morning, men's Bible study at square one, they meet in the gathering hall down the hall at 6.30 in the morning, and, and uh, I hadn't been consistent over the summer with the kids being home and whatnot, but now the kids are back and settled in school. I, I started going again a couple weeks ago, and, and, and this past week, we were in Psalm 119. Uh, that's a big psalm, by the way, so we, we'd broken it down into passages, and um, we're in Psalm 119, verse 65 through 72, and, and uh, the psalmist writes this. He says, the law of your mouth, he's talking to God, he says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. In other words, we could never be richer than when we have the word of God at work in our lives, when we're clinging to that, when that's the thing that's most important to us, when we allow that to have influence and sway over our lives, there's nothing we could have more valuable than the Word of God. And not just when we have the Word of God, but when we learn to trust it and obey it, to live it out. When we trust God's Word and live in obedience to it, we, we discover not just how steadfast and faithful God is, but we discover how rich God is, and by extension, how rich we are as His children. Church, the most valuable investment you can make in your life is to obey the greatest commandments God has given. The ones that Jesus declares in the New Testament, He says, the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those two laws, those two commandments sum up all of God's word, all of the promises of God, all of the purposes of God, that, that, that we are to love God, to learn to trust him and, and live in, in relationship with him and depend upon him for our significance and our, our security and our contentment. And to learn to let that love overflow from our lives into the lives of those around us. See, I don't think it's about needing to know more about loving our neighbors. I think it's actually about obeying God's law to, to love them. If you have your Bibles, turn in Romans chapter 13. I'm just going to read a handful of verses from the middle of the chapter, verse, starting in verse 8. Paul writes these words. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that, that your word would be proclaimed today in my heart and in the hearts of all of us here. Lord, if there is anything that is from me that is proclaimed from this pulpit that is not from you, I pray that you would squash it, that it would be dust, that it would be meaningless, but that what we would all hear this morning is, is your word. Amen. So grace is one of those things that we hear. It's a word that we use around the church, right? It's a, it's a word that, that's used uh, and it's central to our faith. It's something we all love, right? It's that unearned uh, forgiveness and, and love of God. Who doesn't love to hear, I forgive you? Who, who doesn't love to, to know that you've been given forgiveness when you screwed up or, or, or made a mess of things? See, Christians are marked by grace. This is central to, to our faith. This is central to who we are. We are a people who have received God's grace, and we're meant to be a people who extend God's grace, right? And in the midst of the New Testament religion, we, we, we like to think that grace gives us much freedom, right? There's this idea that that God wants to give us a choice to choose him, to draw near to him, or not to draw near to him. We celebrate this idea of, of free will, of being given the chance to choose who we love and, and how we love, right? But, but that's not the, the faith of Christ. Here in Romans 13, we're told that there's actually one thing we don't have a choice in. There's one thing that we have an obligation toward, and that's to love others. We're all required to love others. We're, we're not necessarily encouraged to incur debt, right? But we are always indebted to one another with the love of God. Oftentimes, I think this passage is used to support the idea that we shouldn't take out loans or have credit cards or borrow money from others, but, but I think that's missing the emphasis of this passage. See, Paul's point is that when it comes to our neighbors, we're to live as if each day we need to be making a payment on a debt we owe to them, a debt of love. There is, there is, a, there is a debt that has been taken out on our behalf a debt that's owed to other people, a debt that requires daily payments of love. That's why I thought what Alexis shared with Tara and I over lunch was so interesting. It's not hard to think about, but it's hard to live out. The person sitting across the table from you, you owe them love. The person working in the cubicle next to you, you owe them love. 
The, the person who lives next door to you, you owe them love. Life is not about you. It's not about caring for your needs, loving you first. It's about waking up and realizing in some way and in some capacity, God is going to call you to love your neighbor. And trust me, when you, when you actually take inventory of your life and, and kind of evaluate those places where you've missed opportunities, it's easy to feel like you've missed the mark of what God's asked us to do. Not what he's, asked, what he's commanded us to do. Every day should provide us an opportunity to love our neighbors. But church, let me be the first to confess, it's so easy to miss those opportunities when you're concerned about what's going on in your world, the things that you need to get done, the things that you're responsible for, the, the people that, that, that are closest to you. I think what, this, what we need is not to dwell on how to love our neighbors more or to soak up more knowledge of loving our neighbors, but to challenge ourselves to just take every opportunity to practice the love of Jesus toward others. So we, we've come to understand that, that, that God's people are defined by this love. We love because he first loved us. John wrote in one of his three letters, he, he writes, we love because God first loved us. God is love. So it only makes sense that as children of God, as, as one of his people, we're characterized by that love. That love becomes who we are. We're not told to be someone who can, who, who can clearly walk you through a systematic understanding of the word of God. We're called to be a people who are practicing the love of God. The, the word we claim to know so well should be visible in our lives through obedience. Now, explaining what love looks like here in Romans, Paul quotes a string of negative commands from the first half of the Ten Commandments. He says, don't steal, don't murder, don't lie, don't commit a, uh, adultery, don't covet. But here's the thing, the, 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 the heart of the law isn't summed up in all these negatives. The heart of the law is what's left over after you remove all the things, all the extra layers of what it's not. It's a little like taking your SATs. Students, if you haven't yet taken your SATs, here's, you don't have to take the practice test. You don't have to go and get extra help. Just listen to me right now, and you're going to do just fine, right? One of the tips they teach you when you take the SATs is to start by eliminating all the wrong answers, right? So in theory, what you're left with is the right answer. I mean, I, I didn't do that great on my SATs, so maybe don't listen to me. But the point is this. When all the things that we should not do are eliminated, what we're left with is a pretty wide, expansive way or a d definition of what it means to love our neighbors. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't covet. Do love. Work the work of God's divine love flowing through your life and into the lives of your neighbors. But here's something I want you to consider. Sometimes where we struggle, and, and, and I'll admit it, I've thought about this too, is how do you love someone when you think by, by taking action to love them, you contradict your own faith and your own belief, right? Sometimes loving someone means saying or doing something that doesn't necessarily feel good. 
to your neighbor. But I think that's because the definition of loving our neighbors doesn't start with how our neighbors feel. It's important to consider how they feel. But God's definition of love and loving our neighbors begins with who God is, right? If it ultimately works for God's good in our neighbor's life, if it ultimately works for God's good in our neighbor's life, well, then it's love. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So I think loving our neighbors is more than having positive feelings about your neighbor. It's even more than, than, than getting your neighbor to like you by saying all the things that, you, that they want to hear, right? Loving our neighbor is more than just wanting God's best for our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is working toward God's best for our neighbor. When, when Paul says that love does no wrong... He uses a Greek word here for work. That, that, that idea that love is, uh, is something that's at work. It's, it's, it's an action. It, it's, it's something that is going on beyond just sentiment and feelings. Loving our neighbors means caring for our neighbors, right? It doesn't mean going in and telling them how their life, but it doesn't mean going in and starting off by contradicting how their, or, sorry, doesn't mean walking into the world and telling them all the ways that their life contradicts the word of God. It means going into their world and getting to know them, stopping to listen attentively to their life, their past, their, their growing up, the things going on in their world, caring for them, having compassion for them. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes alongside, how, how many times does he come alongside someone and it says that he had compassion for them? He doesn't say he, he came alongside and noticed the number of ways that they were living their lives that contradicted God's word. He says he had compassion for them. Loving our neighbors means that, that, that we have compassion for our neighbors. It means that we're to be thoughtful about what we say and how we say it, right? It doesn't matter that we're just proclaiming the word of God. It matters that we consider how they're going to receive it, how they're going to hear it. Is this going to... Do them harm for me to say it in this way? Or is this going to invite them to come nearer, to draw nearer to the Lord, to trust him, to consider that God loves them? It means that we're mindful and intentional about how we seek to bless our neighbors and not curse them. So I think through the lenses of Paul's letter to the Corinthian believers, the kind of work we're doing in the lives of our neighbors should fit these kinds of characteristics. But they're not just thoughts and feelings. These should be actions. These should be characteristics of the actions we take in the lives of our neighbors. Love is to be patient and kind. Don't think about your sentiment toward your neighbor. When you think about your relationship with those you might consider a neighbor in your life, could you say that you're kind and patient? Could you say that your love for them does not envy or boast? You're not thinking about what your life is not getting and what their life is. You're thinking about them, their needs, not your own. Love is not arrogant or rude. Do your actions, do, do they express a level of humility in how you interact with your neighbors, those closest to you? Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the, church, uh, in the truth. We need to understand something. Church, we need to understand that there should be no people group on this earth that's more selfless, compassionate, caring, and loving in word and deed than followers of Jesus. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but that's okay because that means it's a challenge for us to step up as the church, as the people of God, and say, I know that we should be the most compassionate and caring. What role, what part can I play in that? And it starts here. In Romans, Paul's writing to the church. He's writing to a people who are trying to come together, Jew and Gentile, right? Two people that were were trying to figure out how do we become one in Christ. And Paul's challenging them. Church, when we go in the foyer, when we walk out the doors of this congregation, our conversations matter. When we stand in in the sanctuary and and, and worship the Lord, our, our, our words and our deeds matter. When we walk out the doors of this church and go out into the world and run into one another, our inter- and our interactions matter. When we speak to one another on the phone, it matters. And, and not just in what we say, but how we relate. Are we building one another up or are we tearing one another down? Yeah, the, the, the word of God challenges us and calls us to speak the truth in love and I think too often we, we, we emphasize truth and neglect love. Sometimes what it means to love our neighbor means you don't say that. We should be the most selfless, compassionate, caring, and loving people group on this earth. Because God first loved us, the one thing we owe, the one thing we are indebted to our neighbors with is the love of God, to love them with God's divine love. But you know that already, right? I mean, it's, our, our issue is not one of knowledge. We don't, know, we don't need to be told that that's what we're supposed to do. I think some of us are probably even just tired of being told, love your neighbor, Right? They think, oh, go to church and be told to love my neighbor. I know that already. I don't need to be told again. Our issue isn't one of knowledge, but of obedience. But actually, uh, our issue is one of actually being challenged to go forth and, and actually live out this love in another's life, not just have good feelings towards them. And here's the thing. The time is now. The opportunity is today. In fact, for some of us, it's going to be before we even leave the sanctuary. The time is now. Verses 11 to 13 in our passage read like this. You know that the time, you know, sorry, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Our our time is now, church. Yeah, we don't know when Christ will return, 
In fact, it will be a surprise for many of us. What we do know is that right now, in this present moment, God is providing opportunities for us to extend love to others, to be a loving presence, a a witness to the light of Christ in another person's life. The time is now. Night has turned from day, as Paul says. It's time for us to head out into the field and work the harvest, to raise up a crop of God's divine love in the lives of, of, of others. So let's get our act together, church. In the life of a follower of Jesus, this is like that scene from the movie Braveheart, right? You know, uh, Mel Gibson's character, he, he's Bruce Wallace. I should have had, I should have had a, a, a visual representation, someone in a kilt come up here, um, but I won't do that. Maybe next week, actually. Uh, there, there's a scene where the, the Scottish are on the field of battle, and they're facing the English, and Mel Gibson's character has to kind of rally the troops, right? And, and, and the time is now for them to fight for their freedom, right? And, and, and so Mel Gibson does this whole thing where he's, he's saying, why are you here right now? For, for what purpose are you on this field of battle? For your freedom? And, and he's getting some pushback. Some of the, char- some of the, the men are saying, yeah, we're, we want our freedom, but we also want to live. Well, Mel Gibson he kind of talks about this idea that there's this time right now. You have a choice to make. You can fight for your freedom or live in regret of the moment that you let pass you by. This is, this is the scene where, where he says, uh, he shouts, you can take our lives, but you can't take our freedom. Church, there is this moment where, I mean, we're not, we're not, I don't want you to go out and start waging war in this, in this world, but we are on this playing field here. We're on this battlefield. And our weapon is not to tear people down, but to begin to, to, to see opportunities to love others with no expectation of a response. Set no expectation on your neighbor, because as soon as you do, You're doing that not to love them with God's divine love, but so that you might get a reaction, a response that you are longing for. You're seeking your own desires in that moment. Love them selflessly. Get on the battlefield. The time is now. Here here in our passage, Paul uses the Greek word kairos for time. And and if you've you've studied, this is one of those words that people will sometimes look up in the Greek, so I know some of us may know this, but there's a couple different Greek words that could be used for time, specifically for hour. Kairos is not just normal time. It's not like, hey, it's lunchtime or time to go to the bus or uh, it's quitting time. Kairos is is a significant moment. It's like the moment of like the birth of a child or or, um, that moment you realize that you've fallen in love with someone. There's a significant moment that that you realize is happening right then and right there. Church, the time that we're living in right now is pregnant with meaning and significance. It's filled to the brim. Our Savior has come. He's been crucified. He was dead. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And now he sits at the right hand of his Father, waiting to return and to, to gather up his people and bring them 
to be with him for an eternity, to be in the light, in a world that is free from sin and sickness, death and tears and, and strife. We're waiting for his return, and every day that passes by, is one day closer. We don't know when, when that will be necessarily. We can't pinpoint it on a calendar, but we know it's getting closer and closer as each day passes by. We are at a point in time where we are closer to salvation than Paul was when he wrote the New Testament. I, I don't know how to, uh, how, how to stress the urgency of this call to loving our neighbors. The time to work the works of love in your neighbor's lives is now. It's not a time to feed the, 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 the uh, self-focused life inside of you. It's not a time to, to feed that unending desire for contentment and, and satisfaction. Paul tells us in verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't, don't entertain the desires of your flesh with, with, your, with your valuable time and energy and, and, and your thought life. You have an opportunity to be hospitable. Don't be hospitable to your flesh, to the desires of this world. Be hospitable to your neighbor. Put on the character of Christ. Show them or let them see the love of God inside of you. It doesn't mean you have to try to be more, more uh, loving, but let them see God's work of love in your life. Today is the day to work the works of God's divine love as the days tick by and as we get closer to when Jesus will return. Church, let's not overly complicate things here. Our sole responsibility as we go out from here as we get up and close our time in worship, as we worship together, not even as a matter of one after the pastor says the benediction, but even especially in the community of faith as we gather together, let us love in not just word, but also in deed. Let us check those things that we're about to say. Will this be for their good or will it bring them harm? Am I bringing God's divine love into this person's life, or am I hurting them? Today is a day. This love is not hard to wrap our minds around. It, it, it's actually not hard to figure out if we're being loving or not. The issue, I think, is probably one a little bit deeper, is, is to say, how much of, is this Dan that's trying to speak or take action here? Is this feeding Dan's desire to, to do something or to achieve something or to accomplish something, or is this Am I, am I being selfless and sacrificial and letting God work through me in the lives of others? See, our, our issue is not wrapping our minds about, around what it looks like to love our neighbors. Our, our issue is one of greater dependence on God, trust in him, and obedience to him from the depth of our being. As we close our time together, I want to read just a couple verses from Romans 12. Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let, let your love 
be free from hypocrisy. Let what you feel on the inside flow out of you in a loving way. And if it's not loving inside of you, then take the risk of doing the hard work of addressing that issue inside of you that you might be in a place where you can love others. Let your love for your neighbor be genuine, without hypocrisy. And then let's follow that up with obedience and action. Now is the time to work the works of God's divine love so, so that our community might be overwhelmed by an experience, the love of Jesus, and be transformed by it. You know, I began this sermon with a, a bit of confession, and I'd like to invite us to, to, to just take a moment. I'm gonna, I'll pray, and in the midst of that time of prayer, I'm going to just enter into a little bit of silence. And that time of silence is an invitation for you to kind of think on those places where maybe, maybe God is needing to work inside of you. Maybe it's just a matter of asking God to reveal where you could be more loving to your neighbor. And not just in feelings, but also in actions. But really, I, I can't tell you how you should respond to this. That's for the Lord to do. So let me pray, and then we'll continue. Heavenly Father, I, I do thank you for your word, which has the ability to convict us and challenge us, uh, has the ability to transform us. And, and, and Lord, uh, I pray for your compassionate hands as the potter uh, to reach into our hearts today, reveal those places where we need to confess, seek forgiveness. And then, Lord, Show us how we can walk in obedience to you. Give us eyes to see every opportunity you put before us to love our neighbors in both word and deed. But Lord, we realize that for this to be truly an eternal work of God's divine love, it requires your spirit to be at work in us. So Lord, we take a moment just to quiet our hearts now before you to allow your spirit to speak to us, to convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to minister to us. So we take that time for silence now.